It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Apathy is not patriotic. I feel in the call to celebrate the 4th of July uncritically a sense that apathy is patriotic. Can't we just get along? Can't we just let things go? Can't we just have hot dogs and fun and not worry about things? This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 501 of Pantsuit Politics. Thank you so (laughs) much for celebrating 500 episodes with us. I basically cried for three days, and that is very uncharacteristic Mm -hmm. for me. But uh, you all just supported us and have shown us so much love as we've been making this show. And we're really excited to make 500 more episodes. Crying is not uncharacteristic for me, but that level of crying is. It just... It got to the point where I was like, my emotional load is just too high. And we made this amazing Spotify playlist. And by we, I mean you. I just took every suggestion and plugged it into a playlist. So it is a wide variety 
We're talking sister suffragette from Mary Poppins to Beyonce. Okay. It's a wide range, but they're so good. And Spotify picked Natalie Merchant, Kind and Generous, as the first song after I listened to the podcast. The podcast is in the playlist. And I just cried so hard. It was such a celebration. Your messages, the milestone of the moment in general, our team's hard work. It really, really was so special. We cannot thank you enough. So if you are relatively new to Pantsy Politics but heard that episode and thought, there's a lot of community discussion here. How do I get more involved? A great place to start is with our extra credit book subscription. We do this through the Wild Geese Bookshop. We know Tiffany, the owner in Indiana, well and just love what they do and how they do it. Extra credit book subscriptions give you access to books that are really reflective of themes that we're thinking about. Sarah and I are reading these books. We're incorporating them into our preparation for the show. And it's just a really wonderful way to be at the table with us as we start to think through big ideas that are going to thread through the podcast. So every quarter, we pick the books that are quote unquote extra credit. Tiffany always picks out like super amazing, fun little gifts that go in the books, too. And so this quarter, it's The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Sklute, The Mansion of Happiness, A History of Life and Death by Jill Lepore, and Girls Burn Brighter by Shoba Rao. And we're really excited. We try to pick like fiction. You know, last quarter, we picked the Federalist Papers because we are putting together a summer series for you guys about how to be a citizen that we are so excited about. And so we send out the books. And also there is a Goodreads group and a Facebook group for the book club where we have these conversations on the podcast and off the podcast. Uh, Because listen, we just know that you guys are like us. You're lifelong learners. You're so curious. And so that's why we call it the Extra Credit Book Club. And we would love to see you guys participate. So we'll put the link in the show notes. We'll also have a link in the show notes for the Pantsuit Politics Book Club Facebook group so that you can talk to other readers about these books. We have a wonderful listener, Megan, who is going to be there often kind of leading those discussions. And so we would just love for everybody to come out and get involved as we learn together. So today we're going to catch up on the news and then we're going to spend the main segment talking about America under pressure. Feel free to start singing David Bowie if you'd like. It just seems like from these viral videos to the outbreak of gun violence over the weekend that every American everywhere is experiencing this building stress and tension and pressure from our two pandemics of coronavirus and systemic racism and also the complete and total lack of leadership at the top. And so that's what we're going to talk about in the main segment of the show. But first, we want to hit a few headlines, um, important stories that are going on that we want you to be aware of. We are thinking of our friends in Japan as record rainfall and widespread flooding on a southern island there, left dozens of people dead or missing. We know that 18 people have died. We know that at least 14 more were missing. And local authorities will update those numbers as they continue a search for survivors. Lots of homes have been destroyed. It's just terrible. And all natural disasters, you know, are really difficult to kind of sit with and acknowledge. I know we have a lot going on here in America, but we can't forget everyone across the world as they deal with things like flooding and and rainfall. So thinking of you all in Japan. We also wanted to take a moment and really give the death of Vanessa Guillen the attention it deserves. 
Many of you have been following this story as we have as well. She was last seen at Fort Hood on April 22nd and then disappeared. Her, many of her private effects were left at her workspace. Her family started calling and calling attention to her disappearance and really didn't get anywhere. The military leadership at Fort Hood did not take her disappearance seriously. And so this family was left to its own devices. They started to get celebrity attention to the issue. And finally, after two months, there seems to be beginning of answers. Tragically, her remains were found and their prime suspect, U.S. Army Specialist Aaron Robinson, killed himself as police closed in on him. His girlfriend, Cecily Aguilar, has been arrested. She has confessed to helping him dispose of Vanessa's body. And the details of this case are particularly horrific. Vanessa's family claims that she had been being sexually harassed and that this is just one more example of the rampant problem of sexual harassment and sexual assault in the military, that she didn't feel comfortable going to anyone and asking for help, and that they did not take her disappearance secretly because she was a Latina woman when she had signed up for service and should have been, you know, as valuable as any other soldier. And so I think that the lag in time between when she disappeared and when this case got the detention it deserves, the fact that it is pointing to an ongoing problem of sexual harassment and sexual assault in the military is renewing calls for a different process inside the military when someone's being sexually harassed or when somebody disappears. And I think that it, it's well-deserved. I hope this family gets the congressional investigation that they are calling for. I hope that there are changes inside the military so that women and people in general don't feel so vulnerable, especially in the lower ranks when they're being abused or attacked or sexually harassed. I really appreciated a tweet from MJ Heger, a friend of ours, a veteran candidate for Senate in Texas, She said, we have failed Vanessa Guillen. The same culture I faced years ago when I was assaulted is alive and well, a culture where military officers and senior enlisted leaders, not all but enough, sweep complaints like hers under the rug and minimize sexual harassment. Left unchecked, it escalates to assault and violence. Any military officer or any senior enlisted leader who believes sexual harassment is the price of admission should be relieved of command and never be in a position where they have direct reports ever. And she sent those tweets in response to a statement from a, a woman from who is retired from the Wisconsin Guard who said, like, listen, this is just part of being in the service. If you can't handle it, you shouldn't be in the service. Mm. And that attitude is so pervasive and destructive. And I really hope that with the election of more women who have served to Congress and the continued efforts of people like Kirsten Gillibrand, who've been talking about this for years and working hard for years on the culture in the military, that we see some progress. But uh, it is devastating that we have lost Private First Class Guillen in what seems to be such a predictable and preventable way. Speaking of elected women with experience over the weekend, I read the New York Times piece on Representative Alyssa Slotkin, who is a former CIA analyst, and how valuable her experience has been as Congress continues to investigate and unpack the intelligence community claims that Russia was paying bounties up to $100,000 for 
the deaths of American soldiers to Taliban-backed fighters. The evidence continues to grow. Uh, The president continues to deny this. But hearing her say, no, like, I sorted through this data. If I had found what they had found, I would have put it in a report and send it up the ladder. So either that didn't happen, which is a problem, or he heard it and didn't respond, which is also a problem. It's such an important reminder that you need representatives with a wide variety of experience to say, let me tell you why this is such a big deal. You know, I think every American hears Russians were paying bounties for dead Americans and knows it's a big idea. But to unpack the importance of the intelligence process and to really sort of decode that process, which is very difficult to understand, is so important. And that group of representatives, Abigail Spanberger, Alyssa Slotkin, and their, the value they bring to Congress during really important stories like this and moments like this, Putin's ongoing expansion of power and the Trump administration's ongoing strategy of completely ignoring that, if not propping it up, is really important. I think this story goes to what we're going to talk about in the main segment, that feeling of being under pressure, Mm -hmm. because all Americans, I think, are going to have a reaction to the idea that a foreign country is paying for the Taliban to kill Americans. And none of us have a clue what to do about that. I, I read an interesting piece in Commentary Magazine from Noah Rothman about this, and he said, you know, the difficulty with this story being out in public is that there is pressure then to do something. But the best choices about what to do with an event like this are things that are usually not done transparently. And that if they're done in a way that lets the public and the media know about them, it also lets other countries know about them. And that can escalate so quickly that it becomes real national security threat and challenge. Not that it isn't already one, but keeping national security challenges in an acceptable range of simmering is kind of how we've used foreign policy, the best I understand it, for several decades now. We haven't tried to get rid of all threats because that's impossible. We just try to keep them within a band that we can deal with. And with Russia, I think it is harder and harder to know what that acceptable range is. When we don't have a sense that the current administration is competent and trustworthy and truly putting the national interest ahead of the president's personal interests, it is incredibly difficult to know what to make of a story like this as just a regular American. I do think as a everyday American, it's not hard to notice a pattern. Somebody rings an alarm bell about Russia And we get evidence added to a growing pile that the president's relationship with Russia is not normal. It's not normal. Putin is pushing and pushing and pushing, interfering in our elections, paying bounties for American soldiers, all the way beginning in 2008 with the annexation of Crimea. And I think that, you know, you don't have to be a foreign policy expert Although I think it's so helpful to have leadership that understands and has experience in intelligence to see this pattern. Something is amiss. <laughs> Something is not right. And the reason it keeps coming up and up and up again and again and again, and you see, oh, well, maybe he knew about this in March. And then he had this, you know, call with Putin where he praised him and prayed. I mean, just 
Something's not right. Something is not right. Just to give you an update on a story we've talked about before with Putin, he did manage to get past. I don't know how to word that with the right verbs because elections in Russia are so suspect in so many ways. But you can't see us doing the quotation fingers. (laughs) Elections. With all the votes counted, 77.9% of people who voted are said to have voted in favor of amendments that would allow Putin to remain in office until 2036. His current term is supposed to end in 2024, but he has gotten himself the opportunity for additional terms should he desire them. And it seems pretty likely that he will. Well, I mean, I think it's the same as here. It's this his foreign policy approach is the same as his domestic approach. He is expanding his power. I mean, that's what he's doing, right? I think that's right. I always have questions about what's the goal here. You know, as I was reading more about the bounty story, it struck me reading how Russia, for the most part, doesn't want the United States to leave Afghanistan. They like us using resources there. They like the domestic quagmire that it has created. They like that we're focused there so we're not focused elsewhere. It keeps us less involved in Syria, where Russia cares a lot about what happens, right? It keeps us less involved in Ukraine. So the more we divide our resources internationally, the happier Russia is. It is very mind-bendy when you look at individual examples of things that Putin has orchestrated. And those are just the things that we know about. I also read a quote from a former GRU agent in Russia saying, what is known about what we do is the tip of the iceberg. And I believe him. And so I don't know exactly what the goal is, but I do think, generally speaking, it is fair to assume that Vladimir Putin's objective is a new form of Soviet Union that carries the same sort of international swagger that the previous Soviet Union did, and that that, in his mind, has to come, at least in part, at American expense. Before we move on to the main segment, I wanted to share a comment from Elizabeth um, regarding our previous conversation about reproductive rights surrounding the Supreme Court case. She says, just chiming in here as a longtime fan and family physician who works with our local Planned Parenthood. I'm commenting on Sarah's comments that she's hopeful that medication abortion will allow women to terminate pregnancy without having to access an abortion clinic. This is not my understanding. All abortions, including medical abortions, are regulated the same way. This is one of the outrages of the requirement to have admitting privileges. Most of the abortions that are being regulated in this way are medical abortions. So they are saying that I would have to have admitting privileges at a local hospital to give a woman a pill. I was so hopeful when medical abortions became possible that it would be just available through our primary care physicians. But no, the abortion abolitionists are savvy to this and are not allowing physicians to prescribe these medications or pharmacies to dispense them. I thank Elizabeth for reaching out and clarifying that. And I think it's important because if this is an issue that is important to you, that's something to start pushing for and talking about, that medical abortions and prescriptions for those medications should be available more broadly beyond abortion clinics. I think that's something that I'll be paying a lot of attention to and thinking about. And I really, really thank Elizabeth for providing that clarification. It's especially relevant as you consider the Supreme Court's decision and the dissent from Justice Gorsuch in that case. Justice Gorsuch talked a lot about sort of the horror stories that Louisiana's legislature heard about abortions gone awry and the safety issues accompanying abortion and the medical risk attendant to it. 
But as the majority in the June medical case pointed out, having hospital admitting privileges often requires you to have a history of practicing in a hospital. And if you are safely providing abortion care, you're rarely going to see the inside of a hospital. And so what we say is a requirement that's supposed to ensure that abortion providers are competent and are going to provide good quality care to women, it almost has the the opposite impact because the people who would be able to get hospital admission privileges often are folks who are going into the hospital a lot, which is not great if your practice is really focused in just on abortion care. So, you know, everything in this area of American law is complicated. Deciding these issues through the Supreme Court, as I talk about on the Nightly Nuance this week, is bananas. The more of these decisions that I read, the more I think this is so unsustainable. We cannot possibly continue this way. And the details matter a lot. So thank you, Elizabeth, for these details. Also, best commentary just there about the Supreme Court is a friendly reminder that it's Supreme Court week at the Nightly Nuance again this week, right, Beth? They're just keeping us busy over here on Patreon. So Monday is a deep dive on the June medical decision. Tuesday, tonight, you can hear about the faithless elector decision, and we'll have several more cases this week. Up next, we're going to talk about America under pressure. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is, I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. 
Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. Fourth of July weekend always presents an opportunity for us to think about our country, our role as Americans. I think it's gotten the reputation <laughs> for being this purely patriotic exercise that you can't love your country if you are criticizing it. And I really hope that this weekend, <laughs> as we see this bubbling, boiling over frustration, stress, we let go of that, that we let go of the idea that the president was pushing in his Fourth of July speeches, that if you criticize your country, you can't love it. As we sit here, I'm sitting next to a women's history calendar, and I'm looking at Saturday, July 4th, and it says, in 1876, suffragettes protest on America's centennial. So these women with no political power, little over a decade out of the Civil War, on the 100th anniversary of America, protested. And they love their country as much as the people who want to tear down statues. And I think this conflict you feel between people that, you know, cannot stand in a space where you love something and criticize it, where you see your country struggling with a pandemic, with systemic racism, and you want to push so hard because you liked when the narrative was all good, especially if you're the president of the United States, is just something we have got to let go of. We have got to let go of that because it is, it's causing people to snap. I don't think it's the only thing causing people to snap, but it's like they had this death grip on we're the greatest country in the world. And the growing evidence that we have some real problems is causing this doubling down. You, like I said, you hear it in the, Amer in the president's speeches this weekend. I think you hear it spewing out of the mouths of people in these angry viral videos. And I just want to like kind of gather them around and pat them on the back and be like, hey, hey. No one is saying you can't love your country. No one is saying that. People who criticize and want to improve their country, that is another form of love. And it, But man, it's like we cannot, especially in the midst of a holiday weekend, let that narrative go. If I think critically about my own life, what I realize is that that whole notion of America as the greatest country in the world has, for me, more than anything, served as an excuse to be largely apathetic about the problems in America. And apathy is not patriotic. I feel in the call 
to celebrate the 4th of July uncritically a sense that apathy is patriotic. Can't we just get along? Can't we just let things go? Can't we just have hot dogs and fun and not worry about things? And the truth is, just like you can be quite patriotic in your quest to right the ship on things that you think are wrong in America, you can also celebrate the 4th of July happily and still have problems with the country, right? You don't have Mm -hmm. to cancel the 4th of July because you see problems in the country either. I think what I'm realizing the older I get is that we don't need to be the greatest country in the world for a lot of reasons. The first being that we don't need to rank the countries in the world on their greatness. You know, every country has Mm -hmm. beautiful aspects and really problematic aspects, just like every single person that we love and just like ourselves. And we would all be healthier if we could hold all those things together. And also that loving the country, I wrote about this on Instagram to me, means that we love it like we love our children. We love it as something that is being molded and created by us intentionally and unintentionally all the time. And that what celebrating the 4th of July maybe really ought to look like, and we can still have our barbecues, but maybe it is more about thinking like, what's my commitment to my country this year? What if every 4th of July we said to ourselves, you know, here's the problem that I am really devoted to learning more about this year, or here's the question that I have that I want to understand better, or here's the cause that I want to be involved in. There are so many ways to use that holiday as a moment of celebration, yes, but also reflection and commitment. And I think that that kind of understanding would take us out of the culture war for a second into everybody like doing their work toward a more perfect union. Well, and I think this culture war, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to be overly optimistic, but there were moments of this quote unquote culture war that really had a like jumping the shark feel to me. I thought the couple in St. Louis, McCloskey out there barefoot, with the AR and the handgun, just seemed so empty. Like, it just seemed like this is what the gun industry sold you is this. And do you see it now for what it is? It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. The idea that, you know, with mustard on your shirt and your bare feet, you're going to run out there with your AR and defend your big mansion. Like, do you see how how ludicrous this was? And I felt the same way about his speech. Like, read the room, dude. Every American, even ones that vote for you, think that we have bigger issues than statues. That's not to mean the statues aren't important. But, like, that's not what everybody is consumed by. Whether you're, you know, in Texas and dealing with Hospitals reaching capacity because of this surge in COVID-19, whether you are in Chicago, in black communities, suffering, ripped apart in anguish over children falling to gun violence because of the increased pressure of coronavirus and unemployment and police brutality, like you represent all of their country and your country is this these constituents these voters these americans are suffering with 
big, huge issues and you're up there attacking your constituents who disagree with you on statues? Like the the moment that I was like, yes, Axios has a newsletter. And, so, and I don't remember who wrote this particular one, but they said it's called a base because you build on it. Like the idea that you're just going to stoke this culture war that doesn't even feel like it's hitting people except for the people who were going to vote for you anyway like you're it just it all seemed so ludicrous to me i know i keep coming back to that word but i don't know another word for it like you see everybody so hyped up and you and your answer to again the pandemics of systemic racism and covid-19 is a statue garden Really? Okay. All right. Well, then the emperor truly has no clothes. I think it is a pretty logical extension of a country that has for several years now decided to engage in the least meaningful fights we possibly can Mm -hmm. and attach the highest stakes we can to those fights. We would much rather argue about whether Aziz Ansari should have been canceled than grapple with the real Me Too issues present in our own businesses and churches and communities. And right now, we would rather fight about the statues than think about the fact that we have serious, devastating toxic problems associated with race in every aspect of American life. When it gets too close to home, we have to make it about something else. People want to fight about the masks because coronavirus is too scary to think about. You know, people want to fight about whether coronavirus is going to disappear after the election because it's way easier to conceptualize it as something that's been manufactured to beat Donald Trump than to stare into the reality that there are still things present on this earth that threaten us that we don't fully understand. And to me, that is the result of all of this pressure. It is, wow, I don't understand how to how to grapple with my history anymore. I'm being told that what I've always celebrated is more complicated than that. Wow, my personal property really matters to me, but I'm hearing every day that my personal property is threatened, whether it's because of the manner in which I have accumulated all this wealth or because of the disparity between me and my neighbor or because there are People on the streets protesting things, and I should fear them. We're getting all these messages from different sources. And every person with a microphone that lots of people listen to right now seems to have decided to deal with these problems through the lens of fear. Be afraid of something. Be afraid of the economic downfall associated with lockdown measures. Be afraid of the coming election and whether Trump would actually concede if he lost. Be afraid if we don't have police. Be afraid of police. Like, fear is driving the entire national bus right now. And of course, when that happens, you get people strangely standing on their porch waving guns at folks and getting out of their cars at Chipotle. It's inexcusable. It is such Mm -hmm. a symptom of a culture where we never work on our own emotional health or capacity for hard things. And it's just escalating out of control to the point where, you know, when I opened my email this morning and saw this giant list from CNN of gun violence incidents over the weekend— I was both horrified and not a bit surprised. Even beyond, to me, 
the actions, the pulling of the guns, the grabbing of the ARs, like it's it's the the language they use in those moments. Like the the Mark McCloskey saying, it's like they were storming the Bastille. Friend, do you remember that moment in history? Like, do you know what side you want to be on in that moment in history? Like, do you really want to be on the side of the aristocrats in the French Revolution? Like, I'm not saying the French Revolution wasn't violent, but I just, <laughs> and even in the the Chipotle parking lot where the woman says, you can't just call people, white people racist. White people aren't racist. What? Can, all, all white people everywhere? Like, can you hear yourself? There's just, I think it's because it's exactly like you said. We don't want to have hard conversations. We want an answer, not work to do. We want a quick and easy fix, not, and not just psychologically, but like that's what sells better in the media, either, you know, a hack or fear. Like those are your two options. <laughs> it feels like sometimes on the internet, like you can either have the quick fix, the hack to make you, to fix the problem, to make the product, you know, to make you more productive, or you can just be prostrate in fear to the future. It's all on you as an individual. There's no realization, moment of reflection, that this is a community, that this is a collective, and that the suffering in Chicago should not be a talking point for your fear, but an acknowledgement that when your fellow citizens suffer because babies are being shot in their community, that that is your work to do as well. If that community sees the manifestations of COVID and unemployment to that degree, then that is reflective of a whole other set of issues. And like, I heard a really great interview with a citizen from Germany. And I apologize, I caught it on NPR and I don't know his name and I didn't hear the full context. It was from On the Media. And he was just saying, you know, what we realize in Germany because of our history is that this work is never done. And I think that's what, you know, we're seeing. We're seeing this realization that I think even subconsciously, I think people, including the president, are realizing what this conversation is pushing toward is not that America is bad. We're done. America is the worst country. That's not what they're saying. And I think subconsciously the people who are reacting so strongly know that. What activists are saying, what we're all saying, who are on the side of Black Lives Matter, who are on the side of reexamining our history, is that we have work to do and it's not going to ever be finished. We're never going to go back to this simplistic view of America that we're the greatest country in the world. And didn't we do a good job? Dust your hands off. Move on. Like, that's not ever the case. It was never the case based on our history. And it will never be the case. Like, it's this is work. Living in community, living in a country as big and complicated as ours with a long and troubled history when it comes to race and sex and economics is work. It's hard work. 
And instead of, you know, fighting each other, if we could take the 4th of July or any moment, really, but particularly on these national holidays to say, I feel tired. Do you feel tired? Yeah, I feel tired, too. But we got to keep going. Do you feel frustrated? Do you feel scared? Yeah, I feel frustrated and scared, too. It's not that we're saying there's no place for fear. When you look at climate change or COVID-19 or systemic racism or policing or the criminal justice system, like I can go on and on and on. But it's that you're not alone. These moments should give us an opportunity to look to our sides and realize we're not alone in this. We don't just have to crumble in fear or shut down and harden in anger and decide that the other people are the problem because other people can be a source of strength too and inspiration and empowerment. And we have a long history of that as well. And so, you know, to take that moment to be inspired by your fellow citizens both past and present, is something I wish that the president could have called on us to do, but I have abandoned hope in that regard. But we don't have to wait for him. We can do that amongst ourselves as well. And I think that doing that amongst ourselves requires us in so many ways to just stop talking about him. Because you don't get anywhere in conversations that are about him. Mm-hmm. You can get somewhere when you talk to people who are obsessed with statues. You know, I don't have a strong opinion about what's going on across the United States with statues because I don't live in a place that has a lot of statues. I'm just going to be honest with you. Here in my (laughs) suburban home, there is not a park with a monument erected to someone that I frequent. And so it is not a thing that I think about. I think the people who live in those communities need to have those conversations. Would I prefer that that all happen like at a city council meeting in an orderly fashion? Of course I would. That is the least important question I can ask myself as a white woman who lives in the suburbs right now. The least important thing that I can set my hair on fire about is the manner in which people are taking down these monuments. It's just not important in the scheme of things that I could actually be contributing to my country on. You know, the most important thing that I can do in the statue conversation is figure out how to talk to my girls about those figures. What am I going to tell my daughters about Christopher Columbus matters a lot more in my life than what a community that has a Columbus statue does with it. Because there is not really a right or wrong answer to any of these questions. There are the answers that the people who live in our communities arrive at this particular moment in history, that's how it's always been. If you spend a solitary second reading some of the founding documents, they are filled with references to how the founders don't know the future, and they're not going to try to. They're just doing what they know to do at this moment. They're trying their best to learn from history, but they say over and over, I don't make any designs here on telling what this will be like in a couple of centuries. And that, to me, is the inspirational invitation around all this pressure, because those folks were under some pressure, too, right? You know, everything great that has happened in history has come from a moment of real intense misery. And so 
as we take our turn at that intense misery to extraordinarily varying degrees across the country. Because as much as I feel squeezed by having been in this house with my children for a few months, I have an unbelievably wonderful, easy existence compared to almost every person who's ever lived on this planet. So let me just take that and say, yeah, I'm going to have the tough conversation with somebody that I've seen posting weird stuff on Facebook. Let me take the moment and say, I'm going to think hard about what I say to my kids about all of these topics. I'm going to pause before I just repost a story that for a second made me feel uncomfortable. You know, there are lots of things that I can do here in this moment that are enough and are good and are worthy. I don't have to take all of this on my shoulders. I just have to take this my piece of it on my shoulders. And I think if we could have that conversation with the people in our lives who seem to have consumed so much Fox News or OANN or whatever that they they don't sound like they're on the same planet anymore. Can we try to get them to shrink it down to like, what's actually the most important question in front of you right now? Because it is not ever going to be a statue. I had this moment where I was watching one more of these videos of the white lady going off on some poor black person. This wasn't even the pulling the gun, because that's just like that deserves its own box, which leads to an arrest. Just PSA. You you cannot pull guns on people. So that couple got arrested. And I just thought, you know, I kind of had this pragmatic moment where I thought, how can these women not understand at this point where the story is going? You know, as a white lady, if I don't engage in a lot of uh, on-the-street conflict, <laughs> just generally, but let's say I did. I found myself in one of these situations. The second somebody pulled out their cell phone, I would be like, oh, I'm sorry. I think I'm going to go cool down. Like, to me at this point, like, a cell phone should be, you should hear alarm bells go off in your head. And then I thought, oh, well, but right, that's indicative of how powerful the privilege is, right? That despite like a new video every day, a new moment where somebody loses their job or like just has the full rage of Twitter run rain down on them, deservedly, they cannot see that like that's where this is going for them. Like that's how powerful the privilege and the emotion of that moment when as a white person you feel wronged that you can't even see in this moment in 2020 that when the second somebody pulls out a cell phone, this is going to end badly for you. Like, I just kind of had an aha moment. Like, the first couple videos are one thing, but what, we're on our like 35th hundred? I don't even know at this point. I can't keep up with all those videos. Because there are so many and still and still they continue to show up. And I thought like that, that to me is the clearest indication of how powerful 
that privileged mentality. And I do think it is also indicative of the of the building pressure and emotion in people um, for all manner of reasons. The pandemic, the protest, the economy, all of it. They're still coming up every day, a new one. To me, that is fear again, that you just are not able to assess things when you're in that state of fear. That police officer who posted about not getting her McDonald's breakfast. I don't even know that one. See, that's how many there are. I don't even know what you're talking about. She, She made a video of herself talking about how she was in line at a McDonald's and it took a while. And I don't remember all the details of it, but basically she got spooked like she felt it was possible that something was going to be deliberately wrong with her order because she was a police officer. Oh, yeah. There's been a lot of those, like the Starbucks and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I watched that video thinking, oh, I so wish that you had shown this to any person in your life who could have said, I understand what you felt in that moment. And it is not wholly unreasonable. And if you post this online, you can't even imagine how awful it's going to be. But I think that because she was afraid, the opportunity for that conversation just dissipates, right? Because it's mostly, I'm afraid and I I want people to know that I'm afraid. Look, Mm -hmm. I have so much sympathy for the families of police officers and the officers themselves who are terrified right now. That does not in any way take away from my sincere belief that everything from policing to sentencing in our criminal justice system is wrecked and needs to be redesigned. Mm-hmm. But I feel for those officers, especially as you watch videos like this, what are you supposed to do if you are a person whose institution has almost no trust right now? Mm-hmm. And you're walking around in the world where every third person seems to have a gun that they're ready to wave at someone This is a really scary time, and we're all absorbing that in different ways. And so on the subject of cancel culture, you know, I can have some space for that police officer who made that McDonald's video. And I also think that in the privacy of some good relationships in her life, there could have been a really important conversation about everything built into that video, right? That is a problem and that needs examination and that is reflective not of her being a bad human being, but of her being part of a larger context and not being completely aware of that context. And that is true for every single one of us. We're all part of a larger context that we're not completely aware of. And that's how I find a little bit of relief from this pressure. I've said this before so many times, but, you know, Talking to my kids makes everything so much clearer to me. We watched Hamilton over the weekend as a family. It is just not hard for Jane to understand that the system of American government designed by the founding fathers was an unbelievable innovation in their time. And that also they made lots of horrible decisions and traded away the rights and dignity of so many people in the process that it's flatly wrong and that it's our job to clean that up. She just gets that. It's not scary to her the way it is for all of us who have this baggage of having lived longer than she has. Mm -hmm. And so I just try to remember that, like, 
Where I am feeling that fear, it is a result of my baggage. And some of it is extremely real right now. But that doesn't mean I have license to behave as though everything I own and care about is more important than everything else other people care about. And it doesn't mean that I get to sit here paralyzed. And it also doesn't mean that I have to put myself in the eye of the storm to be contributing positively. You know, my kids and I have been working through the Big History Project. It's really great. And they talk about how the biggest innovation and why the the path of human evolution, particularly technological evolution, has increased at such a rapid pace is because we've gotten so much better at community learning, right? That we don't have to start over, that we can learn from the lessons of our previous ancestors. We can store that information. We've gotten better and better at storing that information. And, you know, I think that is so true. And I think that also we struggle with the limits of our own brains that really want, you know, we can only move through the world as human beings because we sort information. We have to, we, we, have, we bring in so much and we have to sort. And I think we got in this space where we sort good from bad, good from bad, good from bad. And we built this narrative that America is good and everybody else is bad and the founding fathers are good. And all we're saying right now is we just need more boxes. We just have got to learn as a community and from each other that we're going to need some more boxes than good and bad. It's more complicated than that when human beings are involved. And sometimes our brains work against us. But the reason we've been able to advance is because we absorbed and stored information from our fellow human beings. And so what it feels like so much in these videos is people, like, again, that they're all on their own, that I have to defend myself, that I have to sort all this, that I have to decide what's good and bad. And you're telling me I'm bad, but I'm good. And it's just like, hey, like, it's it doesn't have to be like that. You're not by yourself. Even if you get canceled, that you're not in this alone, hopefully, that there are other human beings that have lessons available to you. And that there are more options than good and bad. And I think that's how we can come to a place where we can say things like, I, Beth Silvers, certainly have racist thoughts and tendencies. I hold no animus in my heart toward Black Americans or anyone who shares this planet with me. And I am certain that I act out of the context that I have lived in, and I have a lot to learn and a lot of listening to do. And I don't have to give away the love that I feel for the people who taught me things that are certainly racist. I don't have to give away the love I have for this country that has been built in a racist way. I can sit with all of this at one time and know that I might say the wrong thing on this podcast one day and people decide that I shouldn't have a podcast anymore and then maybe I won't and I will still be okay. There will still be people who love me. Forgiveness will be available. Greater understanding will be available. That could happen in a way that is really unfair from my point of view. And I will still persevere on. The most important work I think that we can do is knowing that those additional boxes can exist and good things and bad things can exist. And unfairness can exist. 
and privilege can exist. And at the end of all of it, I still am in charge of what I do with my own life. In my interior, what I have may fluctuate, how people perceive me may fluctuate, but in my interior, I get to decide how to operate in this world. And when things feel as scary and hard and strange as they do right now, I just keep coming back to, nobody promised me an existence free of COVID-19. Nobody promised me an existence where I have to consider the fact that my skin color has given me a lot of unearned advantages. Nobody promised me a life where my ancestors were blameless. You know, those things are just part of the human experience right now. And so the best I can do is, you know, say, okay, I am fortunate to have some agency in a world that needs my work. Well, and I think people hear everything isn't good or bad, and they think there is no such thing as right or wrong anymore. Yeah, nothing is. Yeah. And that is not true. And we have to push back against that. That's not what anyone is saying. The idea that complexity exists does not mean that right and wrong cease to exist. That's not the takeaway. And I think that's what people react to. It's this it's slippery slope, which is a logical fallacy. <laughs> Just a friendly reminder. That's a logical fallacy. If this, then this, then this, then this, then the end of the world is almost never true and a trick our brains play on us and we have to fight it. You know, if they get canceled, then freedom of speech is dead. No, mm-mm, no. No, 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 no. That's a that's a slippery slope. That's a logical fallacy. That's us trying to pretend that we can see the future, which we cannot. We can have values. We can believe that that things are right and wrong and still acknowledge that once you add human beings to the mix, things get mighty complicated, mighty fast. And that's why we have grace for one another and for our country and for our communities, for people we disagree with. For ourselves, when we think, you know, our motives are good, but the outcome was bad. Why is everybody mad at me? This is a conversation I have with my children all the time. Well, I didn't mean to. Okay. Well, I hear you saying that, and I acknowledge that you didn't mean to, but the consequences were still this. And the consequences were still wrong. And so we're going to have to, we're going to have to deal with that. And, you know, look, I'm not saying it's not a, hard or exhausting, especially in the midst of the increased pressure and stress, get out your bingo card, of the twin pandemics of COVID-19 and systemic racism, not to mention economic pressures. And that's why we need each other. We cannot turn on each other in this moment in history when we need each other the most. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. 
and we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Beth, what are you thinking about outside politics? As if that's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have watched some very enjoyable television lately. Hmm. That is easy, breezy television to watch. So let me first recommend to you Quiz from AMC, which is a very short series of shows about cheating on who wants to be a millionaire in Great Britain. And it's a delight. Oh, I've heard this is good. I have heard this is good. It's I've got to watch it. so fun to watch. Now, listen, it does have kind of bigger questions about what's true, you know, and how things play out in the media and what's just in terms of the public's perception of things. But it's also really fun. It's like a fun throwback because you get to hear all of the who wants to be a millionaire music. And just remember what a phenomenon that was when it began and to see the love that the people who created it had for it. It's really fun to watch. So quiz, I think, is great and should be recommended viewing. It's on AMC. 
I also am going to just tell you, sadly, that my children love The Floor is Lava on Netflix. They love it. It's so good. Who thought that up? Give them a race. Give them a race. <laughs> Whoever looked around at their living room destroyed and thought, hold on, wait a minute. I think I have an idea. Give that person a raise, Netflix. I think it is the right television for this moment because the whole world feels like the floor is lava. Word. So let's mm-hmm. just play that out in a fun way. And because our children are all destroying our homes because they're home all the time <laughs> playing the floor is lava. My only objection to it is that I really don't like people getting hurt as hilarious TV. That is not my jam. But for the most part, it looks like nobody is getting seriously hurt. Yeah, that's just this. Listen, it's a light slip and fall. It's okay. And I like the way you can see how some of the teams do really well because they work better together. And some of the teams decide, like, we've got this superstar athlete. Just let that person go at it. It's just fun. It's bringing a lot of joy to our family right now. Well, we're still working our way through the Marvel movies. But last night, my friend on Facebook posted... The isolated vocals of Marvin Gaye singing, I heard it through the grapevine. And she said, wouldn't this have been more impactful at the beginning of the big chill? And I had not thought about the big chill in decades. And so then I kind of went down this rabbit hole. And then my husband came in and I said, I think I want to watch the big chill. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm down. I want to do that. Let's do that. So. For those of you who don't know, especially the babies in the audience, the big chill was a big movie, 1983. Kevin Klein, William Hurt, Glenn Close sort of set off the careers of a lot of these people. They're a, a group of college friends. One of their college friends commits suicide. They all come back uh, for his funeral, and they have a weekend together in this house in South Carolina. And it is it is very reflective of that moment in time, and it is very reflective of the baby boomer generation. But it's so interesting to me as a person in my mid-30s to go back and watch movies my parents were watching in their mid-30s about the struggles of people in their mid-30s in the 80s and 90s. Also, I just really love to watch movies, like really sort of quotidian movies about the 80s and 90s. I find it so deeply soothing. I really can't even articulate it. But this one in particular, you know, I have to say I was worried I would be bored or it'd be super eye-rolly, but it kind of holds up. Have you ever seen it? No, I haven't seen it. Well, you know, the, it was famous for its soundtrack. It has this famous scene where they're cleaning up the kitchen and dancing, I think, to the tracks of my tears, which is truly a perfect song. But it just, it's like I can't even articulate, because some of it is so, so deeply generational. Like they're all, ve- they're feeling very kind of weighed down by their corporate jobs because they were these activists at college in the 60s and the 70s. And where did it all go? And why aren't they true to themselves? And I think like, oh, what millennials and Gen Z wouldn't give to be really weighed down by the the opportunity to work at a well-paid position. But it's okay. I'm not mad at them. They're also just really good actors. Here's the other thing that really I noticed. So all these, really the women and the men, but let's let's take the stereotypical route here and talk about the women, the female actors. They, you know, this is pre-Botox, right? Uh, there's no Botox in 1983. And they're faces, particularly their foreheads and brows, are so beautifully creased at like 36 years old. And I thought, oh, man, can we go back here? Like they just but I mean, they look so different than what a 30 year old looks now. But they're, you know, they're really good performances. And I don't know. I just thought it held up. And it was a a really enjoyable trip down nostalgia lane for sort of when I was a little kid and my parents and 
I also just really love decor and movies like that. Like a movie, it's like how I feel about Home Alone. When the movie is set in a house, especially if that house is indicative of decor from my childhood, I'm just all in. I'm all the way in on it. So I kind of, I recommend it. I kind of recommend The Big Chill, I think is what I'm saying. It's not a ring, it's not like a forceful endorsement, but I did enjoy watching it. Have you watched Irresistible yet? I have not. No, I can't get my husband to watch it because Linda Holmes said it wasn't good. And he's like truly dedicated to Linda Holmes in a in a way that probably should make me jealous. But yeah, you really liked it, right? I really liked it. I I just love Jon Stewart because to our previous conversation, I feel like Jon Stewart is a person who has tried to learn, you know, and who has evolved and who has said, oh, I would have done that differently if we could do it over again. Here's what really matters. I just think he's a good thinker. It is not the most brilliant film I've ever seen, but it was a lot of fun to watch. The acting I thought was good. And I think it points out like the absurdity of our system. Not that we needed that pointed out, but it does it well and in a in a style that I enjoy very much. Here's the other thing I wanted to recommend, and this is kind of an off-the-wall recommendation for me, but I really like Abandoned from Vice. It's kind of documentary style. These guys explore places that have been abandoned, as the name would suggest. So the first episode, I think, is in Northeast Ohio, and they go through all of these abandoned shopping malls. And you talk about nostalgia from our childhood. When you see these malls that are kind of what the height of shopping mall world looked like with broken glass and ripped up escalators and just kind of how that whole scene has fallen apart, it's really interesting. The guy who is the main storyteller is a big skateboarder, so he ends up skateboarding through all these malls, which is just kind of fascinating. There's one mall that has been filled with churches. There are like 30-something churches that take place in this mall. Anyway, it's really interesting. In another episode, he goes to this spot in Newfoundland that's been abandoned. And I don't know, there's just something really kind of fascinating and existential about it that Chad and I have enjoyed. So that's more television than I ever watched, but that's a testament to America Under Pressure. I'm escaping into my TV a little bit when the kids go to bed because my brain can't handle much else. I hope that you all are doing as well as you can be. And we thank you so much for sharing your time and attention and thoughts with us. We will continue the conversation with you, I am sure, this week over email and social media. Don't forget to check out the Extra Credit Book Club and Sarah's Instagram briefs in the morning to stay current until we are with you again on Friday. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Dylan Garvin and Studio D Production. Elise Knapp is our managing editor. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener support.